This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. 60 years have flown by since John Holloway began his career in racing journalism with the now defunct Sydney Sun newspaper. He was later very flattered when News Limited approached him to join the Daily Mirror racing team where he got to work with some of his idols. Later, he moved to the Daily Telegraph, all the time consolidating his reputation as a reliable journalist in the field of horse racing. His work won him the prestigious Clyde Kennedy Award on five occasions. As the years rolled by, Holly's versatility emerged. He spent 22 years a director of the Sydney Turf Club, the first racing writer to be involved with the major Metro Race Club. He was a boxing timekeeper in the Jeff Fennick Costa Zoo era and he even launched his own racing magazine at one stage. At 75, he still writes a popular column called Bloodline for the Sydney Morning Herald and he works for respected breeders John Muir and Scott Irwin when the yearling sales come around. As a matter of fact, Holly, I don't know how you found the time to talk to me. Oh, well, John, you're, it's always... I say wonderful to have a yarn with you because we're we're both from the same era and um, the good old days, mate. They that look at the prize money. What's happening in New South Wales of late? You've got to take your hat off to to, to the duo of Rolandis and Masara. Uh, New South Wales racing is just going ahead in leaps and bounds, particularly what with the announcements uh, uh, during the uh, the Spring Carnival in Sydney this year. Anyway, but mate, I've my my life hasn't been work. I started at the, um, the John Fairfax Group in 1958, and my it, it wasn't a job for me. I was I was just fulfilling my hobby, and uh, uh, to be still doing it nowadays, I love going to the yearling sales. Um, I've got a lot of great friends there, and um, mate, life life's been good to me. I've got a wonderful family, and um, and uh, I, I've, I've as I say, life's been completely fun from day one. I'm, a, a, I say, a very fortunate person. John, you've been going to those yearling sales for a long time now, and the explosion in yearling broodmare and weanling prices this year has been spectacular. Yes, it's, it's, uh, John, it's actually extraordinary. But, um, you know, with the influx of international buyers now realising how, how good our bloodlines are, um, you know, horses are going to uh, to all parts of Europe. They're going to America, particularly the broodmares, John. We've got some some fantastic ones, mm. and uh, that you know the families go on and on. They blend in, in particular, with the Galileo uh, breed. At, I say Coolmore Stud in 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 Ireland. Mm. Uh, in America, the uh, the mares also blend in great there, and it's it's, it's fantastic. And um, to see how many international agents. Uh, come to Australia for the Magic Million sales in January. They're also here at, uh, of, of course, Easter with the New English, um I say, outfit at Warwick Farm there. John, you were there. Uh, I, I saw you there on the opening day. You made the speech and uh, another JTAP uh, outstanding performance. But, um, John, our, our William Inglis, the Magic Millions, they're, they're great competitors and it's... Uh, it certainly helps Australian racing no end, in my opinion. John, I mentioned earlier that you work for John Muir and Scott Irwin at the Yearling Sales in Australia. And Scott Irwin's an interesting bloke, isn't he? He was a trailblazer in the now burgeoning business 
of selling weanlings. So 20 years ago, it was unheard of. Well, it certainly was, John, and uh, I, I had known Scott for a long while. He was a good young lad. Uh, when I worked at Sedgen Stud, uh, uh, you know, when it, it, it went uh, on the, the uh, it was actually listed on the stock exchange, and uh, a lot of the young guys, uh, I was involved there as marketing manager, and a lot of the young guys there, I've seen them go ahead and, and become stud masters in their own rights now. But Scott Irwin, uh, he had this plan about eight or ten years ago, uh, he decided that rather than wait for horses to turn, uh, you know, to go to the yearling sales, why not sell them as weanlings? And uh, he was the pathfinder there, John. There's no doubt about it. And you mentioned John Muir. Well, we've been friends for over 50 years. Milburn Creek. Um, I've, I've proudly uh, worked for John for for uh, I'd say I'd say about 20 years or something like that. He's, he's he uh, John employs a marvellous. Uh, uh, staffs uh, spearheaded by Scott Holcomb, who's uh, one of the best workers and uh, most experienced horsemen that I've ever had anything to do with over my uh, many, many years in the industry. Uh, he's tireless, and uh, uh, the way he and John Muir work together, it's just uh, wonderful to watch them. And uh, we've had some fabulous results from seven figure yearlings we've sold. And uh, to be just part of that uh, is absolutely fantastic. And uh, uh, certainly, there's some of the highlights of my life uh, I can look back on there. Well, you were one of six kids born to Lorna and Ted Holloway, and you grew up in the inner city suburb of Leichhardt, where kids played in the streets and the laneways and made their own fun. You started your education at Orange Grove School at Lilyfield. You moved on to the Leichhardt Public School. And most journos tell me, John, you were no exception, that English and history were their favourite subjects at school? Yeah, I, John, I, I really enjoyed school. I think I, I, I don't think, I know I only have a wag school one day, and uh, but I, I, I love the sporting academic part of um, uh, Leichhardt and Orange Grove schools. It, it was great fun. Uh, I didn't live far from Leichhardt Oval and uh, obviously became a Belmain supporter. Mm. I used to go down and watch the old champions uh, train it was nothing like you know the full-time operations of the footballers this day and age that they'd all have jobs the uh, footballers and I I got to know Keith Barnes very very well Uh, Kevin Humphreys was another guy I can say that I was very very good friends with and uh, I I still follow the Tigers to this day but uh, there's been some frustrating uh, experiences of late John but anyway uh, (laughs) uh, the black and gold uh, it's it's certainly still uh, uh, I'm I'm one-eyed towards the Tigers, I must admit that. Well, like many kids of that era, you were always anxious to earn a quid somewhere and you had a cracker of a job when you were about 13 years of age. You were a lolly boy <laughs> at the St James Cinema. And, uh, no, I certainly, yeah, I certainly true, was, John. And, 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 but, but before that, I used to uh, sell newspapers. I'd earn uh, five pounds a week there. It was quite amazing. Uh, on, uh, outside the Ball Face Stag Hotel, <laughs> Parramatta Road, just up from the old Leichhardt Stadium, and uh, to earn five pound a week there after school was 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 a fortune. But uh, the the uh, experience you're talking about, John, when I worked um, uh, out of the St James and Liberty Theatres, uh, it was during the school holiday period, and uh, uh, there was a show on uh, called Old Yeller. Oh. It was about a Labrador dog, mm. Fess Parker. Uh, uh, was the main star. Yeah. It was uh, it, it was a show that um, they, sh- they 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 had six 
six runnings a day of it, and uh, I'd be there with the lollies and chocolates and God knows what. And they'd uh, and uh, over that that period of time, I was paid on a commission basis, and I was earning fifty pound a week when I was when I was fourteen years old. It, it, it was extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, I must say, I did do a bit of it on the punt, John, but uh, that's <laughs> that's 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 you know part of my life. But um, no, it, it, it uh, old Yeller. Uh, it, it was about this dog. Uh, he. Uh, he, he got an incurable disease and had to be put down. If I hadn't been able to sell Kleenex tissues, I reckon I would have earned oh, yeah. 70 pounds a week. But of course, it, 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 as I say, it was a tearjerker, but uh, that was a great part of my life. And uh, uh, soon after that, uh, that was back around 1958, uh, was when I started work at, at John Fairfax and Sons as a copy boy. And um, yeah. uh, that, 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 that was the start of a, a career when I, Applied for the job there. I, I had about uh, five different interviews. Uh, they 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 seemed to, to think my reference from school wasn't all that good. So, but they were in, in the end. They were they, they there was a huge shortage of copy boys, and uh, uh, they had no option but to hire me. And uh, <laughs> I was I was fortunate enough to be thrown into the uh, sporting room yeah. uh, where a lot of my idols uh, worked. Uh, Racing journalist Ernie Christensen, one of the great uh, rugby league uh, doyens. Um, I got yeah. to meet uh, my racing doyen Bert Lilly through the uh, mm-hmm. uh, my early stages, and uh, I, I can say really say that the doors that, that Bert Lilly opened for me were quite uh, amazing, really, and uh, mm-hmm. I owe a great deal to uh, to him uh, to have had such a wonderful career, and um, uh, but guys like uh, Bill Whittaker, Bill Casey. Uh, Jack Elliott from Melbourne, we were great friends and uh, mm. they were household names in, in, in the newspaper industry then, which is so far different from the computerised one today. And uh, I always say that I, I experienced the best of, uh, of racing journalism. I, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to see racing right around the world um, and uh, racing and breeding, fortunately. And uh, I, just had a, I just had a wonderful time, John, and... Uh, uh, it, 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 it all comes to a climax and uh, I'm semi-retired now, but, but you know, going to the yearling sales and, and, uh, and also writing a Friday article in the, uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, it, it, it makes me, you know, jump out of bed of a morning. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm awake at five o'clock uh, every day on the computer mm. and that all stems from the days when I used to clock Tommy Smith at Rearwick. Uh, yeah. I, decided, I decided, John, that, if I wanted to uh, be a good uh, racing journalist and get the news out, out there to the public, I was to get off my backside and I'd leave home every morning at quarter to five. I'd get to Smith's stables about half, about 5.15. We'd go over to the track of the morning. There'd be his brothers, Dick and Ernie, uh, who I forged great friendships with. And um, we'd go over there. He had about 80 horses in work at the time, Smith, and uh, we'd be out there in, in, in the near dark and we'd we'd clock and he'd work mm. eighty horses in an hour. It was just quite mm. uh, the the way that he ran. He's, he was just so professional, gay inherited. I, I, I've known gay since he was a little baby, and um, it, 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 that, that was very very good. And I, I I was a fairly good gambler. I I rarely have a bet this day and age, but uh, I used to be uh, you know good a, a successful gambler. Uh, uh, during that period, but 
and and it, I, I did learn a lot from Smith, and I also assisted all the interstate trainers when they came over uh, from either Melbourne or down from Brisbane, and uh, also I'd clock horses for Neville Begg, Bart Cummings, um, it, and, and the uh, number of uh, high-profile people I met was fantastic, but but I love to tip a winner to the the, the battler out there, John. So yes, yeah. uh, I, I was lucky to to, to uh, be involved with the princes and the paupers, and uh, I like the paupers a great deal too, John. <laughs> now, Holly, you were talking about that sports room at the Sydney Sun when you started in 1959, and you mentioned all of uh, the other great journalists uh, with whom you became acquainted. You forgot one. He was very young. Very ambitious, very energetic, a young man in a hurry, Max Presnell. Oh, Max was a great friend, and uh, we still are. Uh, I, I was Max's copy boy, um, and uh, no, no, no. I've, I've, uh, Max and I have, have done lots of interstate trips together. Uh, I, we don't see each other as much as we would have li- uh, would have would would like to. But Max was a bit of a pathfinder in his own 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 rights, uh, John, as you'd mm. be aware. He and Ian Craig started uh, racing tips on on 2KY in uh, oh, many many years ago, and uh, mm. that 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 led to a whole new era in uh, uh, the race go of a Saturday morning, hearing uh, owners and trainers talk about the chances of their horses. Um, and uh, no, Max Max he, he's got a great style of, of journalism. And uh, he's a few years older than than me, but he reckons he looks younger. But I. Uh, <laughs> We're both healthy, John. That's the main thing. I'll say. You were very flattered when News Limited approached you to join the Daily Mirror racing team. Naturally, you accepted, and you got to work with some more legendary racing riders during that period. What about Pat Farrell and Aussie Imber and the inimitable yeah, well, Tommy Brassel? Yes, no, they, they were three great, great, great guys. Uh, I'll, I say Aussie Imber, who, whose brother Fred I was very – uh, great friends with he he was a, a racing journalist at the Sun newspaper. Ozzy was a different fellow altogether. Uh, he he was a workaholic, Ozzy, and uh, uh, similar to Bert Lilly and uh, and and Pat Farrell. Well, well Pat um, Pat was extraordinary because he he or John. One of the first things I learned: if you want to be successful as a racing journalist, you've got to learn to handle the alcohol. Well, I. I, that, that was like a duck of water for me because I, I did grow up in a family where my father enjoyed a, a booze. There's no two ways about that. And uh, I said, well, if I can't beat them, I've got to join them. And, and Pat Farrell, well, he, he, he loved to drink too, but he couldn't handle it. But mm. I've seen him uh, after the races and uh, there'd be Bert Lilly and uh, a number of other guys. We'd go back to the local pub. And, and all of a sudden, a, a story would break from the um, uh, from the races, as you know, say a jockey got suspended or something like that. Well, Pat, who at that time he could, he couldn't talk, he couldn't talk. But <laughs> I'd pick the paper up the next morning, and there's the best story you've ever written from oh, Pat, yeah. whose column was, was was known as Sitting Pat. Yeah. Um, it, it's quite funny, John, when when Pat uh, happened. to well, well, he died unexpectedly, and um, mm. it was just on the eve of the Melbourne Cup Carnival. I'm not too sure what year it was, but um, uh, the editor of the uh, of the Daily Mirror they they approached me and they said, "John, 
we'd like you to write a similar column what 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 Pat Farrell does and mm. and Pat was of course uh, famous for 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 knocking the uh uh, the the the, uh, the the race clubs, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, the establishment. Good word, good word. And yeah. um, and I, I just said to them, I said, look, I said that's not my makeup. I said if I can't write something nice about somebody, I said I might. But every now and again, I, I'd 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 get uh, information which which I I could have exposed a lot of people in. But that's that's one story you'll write, and you and and. Uh, that that one story can mean that I'll miss on about another fifty or sixty other stories, and that's just for a year. So mm. I said, "Look, I'm not your man." I said, "Unfortunately, uh, I I want to remain at the Daily Mirror, but uh, I certainly wouldn't be interested in doing in that capacity." Mm. Now, so, Ollie, how did you move to the Daily Telegraph come about? Well, both the Daily Mirror and the and the Sun newspaper, uh, they they both actually closed down and and it was it was a, a great shame because the first edition of the of both those papers were out on the streets at 9 30 of the morning uh they'd have we'd have five editions a day and uh max presnell as as you mentioned earlier uh well he was working on the sun and i'd get to the track early in the morning and and, and i'd say geez i've got a good story here Max would wander in about about uh, an hour, an hour and a bit after I'd been there. Mm. But do you think I could beat into a story of the bugger? He, he, <laughs> he, I, I, he, I'd walk off. He said, "Anything you doing?" I said, "No, no, fairly quiet today, Max. There won't be, <laughs> be anything <laughs> happening." But uh, any, anyway, but that 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 was all being competitive, and uh, uh, that's that's that, that's what I like competitiveness, uh, and I I still do. But you know, working at the horse sales, uh, there's it. I say there's competition there, but everybody gets behind each other. If a, if a farm mm. working in the same area as me, uh, you know, have a great result, we all cheer them and things like that. And uh, I, I've I've been a guy where I've I think I've stood the test of time because I haven't been a knocker, and um, uh, and and it, it's still the same this day and age. Now, until black caviar came along. You always rated a chestnut son of Wilkes as the best sprinter you'd ever seen, a horse who won 12 from 14. Yes, he, he was an absolute, as a specimen, he was as good as he as he looked. And um, not only was his golden slipper wing uh, quite stunning, I, he, he, he took on a, a filly from the Neville Begg stable, Special Girl, ridden by George Moore. And I thought Special Girl was a living certainty. But when I saw them in the enclosure together, and there, there, there was special girl. She was a, a skinny little thing, and and there's Vane, one of the most handsome horses you could imagine. And uh, well, it's history now how um, uh, he he romped home in the Golden Slipper. But it was after that, in his three-year-old career in the Spring Carnival uh, of of that year in Melbourne, and what he did, I hadn't seen a horse do in my career before. On the Saturday. He won the Craven A Stakes, it was called then, down the straight six at Flemington. Mm. He won that by about five or six lengths. Then on the Thursday, the Lynn Lithgow Stakes, a weight for age race was run. You've got to take into account he was only a three-year-old. Mm. He won that by about seven or uh, six or seven lengths. Yeah. Uh, that was over seven furlongs. And lo and behold, uh, three days later, uh, the George Adams Memorial Mile was run on the final day of the Flemington Carnival. That was over the metric mile. Mm. And uh, he won by eight lengths, and uh, he he was just an amazing, um, a, a, a freakish horse. And 
uh, I did get the opportunity to see him down at uh, uh, the Widden Valley uh, at, uh, when he was at stud on a number of occasions, and he 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 was a, a magnificent horse. So, John, whenever I get asked about horses now, if it's if I say I I split this in different categories, the best colt I ever saw was was um, Vane, but Black Caviar unquestionably the best filly I've ever seen. And then, John, then along came Winks. And yep. um, I can tell you my last four or five years, uh, it's just been wonderful to see what, what Waller's done. I didn't. I, I, I stopped going to all the uh, major interstate carnivals and I didn't see any of the Cox Plate wins, but every win that she had in Sydney, uh, I was at. And uh, I, I just stood, I, I just watched in amazement. Uh, I had my family out there with me. I made sure I said, you want to come and see this because this will, this will be something you, that you, you can tell your grandchildren about that you you saw this horse winks and what she did in the a final day. Uh, it, it, it was it, it was absolutely wonderful. And um, no, they, 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 I've seen some wonderful horses, but uh, those those three certainly come to mind. Uh, um, and but but John probably a couple of horses that I. Um, I was very fond of was Authentic Air and Bond Taint yeah. uh, because I won a big double, the Epsom <laughs> Metropolitan double, and it, yeah. uh, it, it, it helped me buy a very, very nice home. They were both long odds. Mm. They both carried 19 saddlecloths. They both, uh, it was a, a wet track, and, uh, well, you'd swear Authentic Air, uh, and I got the ride on that for Billy Kamer. I remember yeah, Smith ringing me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember Smith ringing me. He used to ring me every morning. Uh, after track work, and he'd asked me what I what what I thought went well, mm. and he said, "John, I've got to get it." it, it, it um, in this day and age, uh, Authentic Air had seven yep. seven seven in in, in the, the 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 pounds, etc. Yeah, and yeah. anyway, I said, "Tom, I've gone through it." I said, "The only one you can get who can." I said, "I know he's not hasn't been he's he's getting a bit long in the tooth, but but Billy Kamer would 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 suit that horse down to the ground." Lo and behold, he got the ride. Mm. Uh, I got the first leg of the double up on the Saturday and then on the Monday in the Metrop, uh, Langby Road Bond Taint went straight to the front and it handled the wet track conditions. And, uh, well, I, I was drunk for a week, John. I can tell you that now. But it was, <laughs> it, it, it was a good win for, for a, um, a young fellow on a, uh, a journalist wages. So uh, it, it, it helped me a great deal in life and... Uh, uh, I'll never forget that neither. Now, Holly, just hold on there for a moment. We're going to pause to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in a moment. The 2019 English Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. 
select weanlings average $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au. Talking to former legendary racing writer John Holloway. Still pretty busy with the column in the Sydney Morning Herald called Form Line, which has a big following, and uh, he ably assists people like Scott Irwin and John Muir at the thoroughbred yearling sales every year. Now, Holly, when you decided to quit the newspapers, you very courageously launched a brand new monthly publication simply entitled Racing, in opposition to the long-established racetrack magazine, and you hung in there for about 16 months. Yeah, John, it was, was something I wanted to do because I'd really gone as far as I could in the, um, uh, the, the, the journalistic ranks, and I, 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 I thought I'd like to give it a crack in racetrack at the time. Uh, it was owned by uh, a well-known cartoonist, Larry Pickering, and uh, who had a rise, who had rising fear, run a very good race in the Melbourne Cup. Mm. Um, Larry was a multi. I started off with a broke, but I I employed the best journalists throughout Australia, and I can tell you I got quite a, a buzz when I uh, my first edition went on the streets. I had a lot of uh, assistance in advertising from from breeders and all 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 different people uh, from different spheres in the racing industry, and. Um, uh, it, it was it was a struggle, I can tell you that now, and uh, it, it was quite funny. I, I, I kept looking at the figures, and I said, I'm going down here, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But um, the last edition that I did, and I didn't realise at the time, but I, I made more money on the last edition than, than I'd made nearly on, 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 on all the others combined, mm. And but I had told everyone now that I'm, I'm, I'm about to go to a different... Um, uh, level I'd been off, offered a job by uh, Tony Bott, who had just been responsible for uh, for the uh, for buying Sejinho Stud from from Lionel Israel, one of the great uh, uh, breeders of all time from an Australian viewpoint. Mm. Anyway, uh, I did it, and the last story was 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 on Sejinho and the and and the new owners, etc. And uh, Tony said. What, what's happening with you, John? You know, I, I said, well, mate, I'm, 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 I've, I've been offered a couple of jobs, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, look, he said, don't, don't accept any of those jobs because in about three months' time, he said, I'm, uh, there's going to be a big announcement at um, uh, what we're going to do with Sejin Hostad. It, it was, was bought by a, a number of people who, who were very successful on the stock exchange. And he said, we're looking for a marketing manager and you'd, you'd fit the bill beautifully. So... Anyway, I waited, and um, about three or four months later, Tony was true to his word, and um, I, I was in. My job was to make Sejinho Stud the most famous stud in Australia. Well, I, I told them, I said that's going to be pretty hard to beat. I said because you've got a lot of opposition out there. They said, John, you've got an unlimited budget. I said, well, that sounds good to me. I said, I'm good at spending other people's money. So, I said, oh. but anyway, it, it, it was an exciting time. Um, and, uh, you know, days that I recall, and it was round about that time, John, that I, uh, I decided to stand for the Sydney Turf Club. There was a vacancy came up, and uh, mm. 
I had helped the guy before who who, um, who who decided to stand, and I I got him a lot of votes. He he only failed by about a hundred votes, and I said to myself, "Well, gee whiz, if I could do that for somebody else, I said if, if I put myself up, I'm probably going to have a good chance, you know." And uh, anyway, I, I was fortunate enough to be elected. Uh, I think being a western suburbs, uh, being brought up in the western suburbs, and and both the tracks being western suburbs orientated. Um, I was successful, and it was a, it, that was also a, a, a marvellous thrill. I, I, I had a long uh, association with the Sydney Turf Club, worked with some brilliant people, Jim Fleming, uh, Graham Pash, Laurie Mackley more recently, uh, Michael Chris Mayle. And, uh, Your great mate Don Story, the late Don Story. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's just a year ago that Don passed away. Um, anyway, uh, I was his racing manager there for a long time, and we had... Mm. Fabulous time with uh, with that very very fast uh, horse rain affair and um, yeah. uh, he he won nine straight there at uh, uh, the peak of his career for Joe Pride who did a f- fantastic job training the horse and uh, mm. yeah Don and I and of course I I became great mates with, with Jack Ingham with, with as Don was was Jack's best friend and um, yeah. uh, they they and, and and I was I was always invited to go out with them and. Uh, was very fortunate, you know, but uh, happily accepted. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and and, and uh, but it it was good fun, John. I I, I had a wonderful time at the Sydney Turf Club. Um, well, as wonderful and, as it was, Holly, uh, you were one of the first to say that it was inevitable that there would be a merge of the AJC and the STC, and you convinced the others, I think, that it was inevitable. Well, John, the, the money that was offered by, by the government was unheard of. Uh, the AJC got something like $150 million for Randwick and the STC got um, $25 million for a refurbishment of uh, Rose Hill. Now, the most vital one was, of course, the, the, um, uh, what, what happened to Randwick. And uh, I, so I said to myself, I gave it a lot of thought because you know I just, I just wanted the betterment from the general public to go to the races, and uh, we had a lot of meetings. And at, at first, the Sydney Turf Club were very, very much against it because it was a great rivalry between the um, uh, the Randwick Club and, and and of course uh, Rose Hill with our major race meetings and. Um, I thought that rivalry was was fantastic, quite frankly. But once this came along, and um, I, I spoke with the uh, uh, the members on about three occasions when 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 meetings were um, arranged to to discuss the the merger, and um, well, I my my speeches, and I'm not the best speech maker in the world, but they, I think I convinced a lot of them that. We, we had to accept that money because it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm. And, um, uh, well, that, that meant the, the, the death of the Sydney Turf Club. But uh, the Australian Turf Club now, I, I think they're doing a fabulous job in conjunction with Racing New South Wales. Um, there, there were the, uh, 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 Laurie Mackery and uh, Michael Chrismail uh, had moved on from being chairman both being chairman at one stage of the Sydney Turf Club, and, and both of those guys uh, sent, um, uh, spent time as, as chairman of the Australian Turf Club. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Sydney Turf Club background has, has always been there, and uh, 
you know, I, I, I've, uh, I was, I was afforded life, life membership there and, uh, I was very proud of that. And, um, anyway, uh, we've, we've seen what's happened at Rarewick. I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm not the greatest fan of the, uh, uh, the big parade ring. Uh, at the end of the day, you need roller skates to be able to go down and have a look at the horses in, in the, uh, I forget what it says. Anyway, um, uh, but uh, it's there and uh, the theatre of the uh, horse. You mean the the the, the theatre of the horse, John? Yeah, but mm-hmm. um, I look. It, it's it, it, it's great, but I I would have had it out the front at Randwick anyway. But, but that's that's neither here nor there. Well, but, it's but cons- no, no. I, I I had fabulous time for the Sydney Turf Club, John. It it, it was um, a wonderful era for me. And uh, it, it enabled me to see a lot of places throughout the world, which I, I, I more than likely would have uh, seen had I not been elected there. Now, Holly, we are rapidly exhausting our time, so yep. I just want to switch the subject for a moment to the sport of boxing. Now, your versatility yeah. knows no bounds. Some years ago, your great mate, the late Bill Morty, enlisted your assistance with his famous fight promotions – and you became the official timekeeper for all contests staged by Classic Promotions. They must have been fun days, particularly in the Jeff Fennec era when Jeff burst onto the scene and won the title from Satoshi Shingaki. Yeah, yes, John, and uh, they, they were the early 1990s, uh, 92 in actual fact, when um, uh, a situation arose where, where the Azuma Nelson uh, return bout uh, was 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 going to take place at Princess Park Football Ground in 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 Melbourne. Mm. Anyway, um, at the time, uh, the earlier fights which were shown on Channel Nine uh, live, uh, but but for some reason or other, uh, Bill had a bit of a fallout with with the Channel Nine superiors, and um, they said no, no. So so Bill put his thinking cap on, and uh, he, he came into the office one Monday morning. It, 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 I actually worked out at his office. He uh, it was in Surrey Hills, and uh, he used to do the big league from there. And I did racing from there, and uh, it, it was a it, it was a great great place to work. You know, really uh, fun area. Mm. But uh, what happened? He said, Holly. He said, uh, uh, he said, Kerry Packer's not not happy with the way things are going uh, with the, the fights. And he said, but but I I reckon I've come up with a way how we might be able to uh, go it alone. And, and be able to show the fights uh, live to the general public. His, his scheme was that uh, he would bring the fight live via Sky Channel uh, from the racetracks throughout Australia. And at that time, I was a director of the Sydney Turf Club. And he said, John, what do you think of it? He said, do you think that the STC would be interested in, in, in opening Rose Hill and Canterbury and we'd also do uh, fights through all the main capital areas throughout Australia. And I said, Bill, I said, it's the only way you can go about it. And anyway, I went before uh, the directors of the Sydney Turf Club and uh, I came up with the idea. And I said, I believe this will be the biggest money-making venture that will ever happen in the history of the Sydney Turf Club. Uh, anyway, they, they listened. And uh, that first of all, they, they their, their mouths were wide open. They didn't... They said we're a racetrack, we're not a you know boxing arena. <laughs> but I was able to convince them, John. And um, yeah. to cut a long story short, 
uh, Bill had a, uh, a lot of loyal employees, including Michael Dan, who uh, uh, was Bill's right-hand man uh, as far as the fights went, um, and uh, many, many phone calls. And I spoke. I was fortunate enough to know a lot of the uh, the, the um, CEOs of the race clubs throughout Australia through my journalistic in, uh, involvement. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, lo and behold, on March 1st, 1992, there we were at Princess Park. I was I was doing my role as a timekeeper, official timekeeper, and racetracks throughout Australia, nearly all of them had to put up the house full sign. It was, they the, the general public, I think it was about $15 to uh, enter. Mm. Uh, the crowds were queued up. The I know at Rose Hill and Canterbury, we had to close the... Uh, uh, the the, the uh, gates there was the, the, the queues to get a drink and uh, exceeded all expectations and mm. uh, it, it was uh, a very very uh, a great financial result which the Sydney Turf Club experienced um, unfortunately the only part that was ruined was uh, uh, Azuma Nelson was able to beat uh, <laughs> Jeff Fennick and there was a, a knockdown in the first round uh, where, where Fennick went down for the eight count, and it's the job of a timekeeper to, to count to the first five, and uh, which I did, and then the referee takes over. Mm. I said, don't tell me this fight's going to be over in one round, but, but Fennick weathered that storm in the first round. He was able to get up and last eight rounds. We'll all remember his fight beforehand when, when Don King was in charge of the fight over there and uh, <laughs> it was one of the most controversial results, that I, I think, in the history of boxing. Yeah, the record so, books uh, are definitely wrong on that one. <laughs> yes, 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 you're not far wrong, Jono. But, uh, no, that, 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 that was another uh, remarkable a bit of memorability uh, for my life in, uh, in sport. I've always loved sport. Uh, and uh, I had a great time. I, 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 was, I ended up uh, quite good friends with Jeff Fennick, and uh, uh, I used to go. I used to handle uh, Jeff Harding's fights, Kostya Zub fights, but mm. only in Australia. I didn't do any overseas. No. Well, Holly, we've exhausted our time, mate. It's been very enjoyable. We'll do it again one day because there's a lot of ground we haven't covered yet. But thanks for your time. Great to catch up, and I'll see you around the traps, old son. Okay, John, thanks for having me. I, I, I look forward to listening into it and uh, it'll, it'll be very interesting. Johnny Holloway talking to us on our podcast, a podcast which was produced, of course, by Supernova South. The 2019 English-Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. 
the four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au.